you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. episode of Unleashing Brilliance. I am your host Janine Garner and it is an absolute pleasure to welcome you again today. A, a big welcome back to those of you that are regular listeners of this podcast and a massive high five of welcome to those of you that may be listening in for the first time. Um, today's guest I have followed for many years. Um, I am always so inspired by her work. She is a regular columnist uh, on Forbes, Fast Company, and Business Insider, amongst others. I often reference uh, her work, and I have referenced her work um, in all of my books. It's Who You Know, From Me to We And, most recently. Uh, she gave me a testimonial for my latest book, Be Brilliant. Uh, this guest is Tarina Allen. Um, she dialed in to this episode one evening from Ohio in the US. Uh, Tarina is a strategist, a management consultant, executive coach, and international speaker. And she has delivered results for leaders and teams across three countries, seven sorry, three continents, seven countries, and 44 states. Uh, Tarina serves as the CEO of Arvis Institute, which is a strategy, change, and performance consulting firm. And as I said uh, in at the beginning of this intro, her expertise is often featured in Forbes, Fast Company, and Business Insider. She holds so many industry certifications, as well as a graduate and undergraduate degrees in strategic leadership, organizational development, and, and management. This, this conversation was, uh, was great. Um, probably one of my favorite conversations. Um, we had some great conversations around owning your outcomes and deliverables and how it's actually up to you to take the initiative for your success, but also for the success of those people around you. We talked a lot about uh, those voices in our head, the self-doubt, um, the, the things that eat away at our confidence and actually gets in the way, not only of our own progress, but the things that get in the way of us creating environments where trust exists, environments of safety, things that actually get in the way of our own leadership. And we also talked extensively about the need to start valuing ourselves um, and that sometimes in valuing yourself, it does require you to constantly take risk, uh, risks in terms of your own brand and your own career. So settle in because this is a great conversation with the incredible Tarina Allen, uh, the CEO of Arvis Institute in the U.S., on this podcast, Unleashing Brilliance. I have been following uh, the work of Tarina Allen for a number of years now, and in fact, uh, often reference Tarina's work uh, in, I think I've referenced your work, Tarina, in all three of my books now. Um, and I love it when you publish new articles quite regularly uh, across Forbes and Fast Company and Business Insider. So it's absolute joy to have you here today, all the way from Ohio. So welcome, Tarina. Thank you very much, Janine. I'm glad to be with you. 
So, Tarina, before we we get on to some of the incredible work that you do and uh, and your your passion piece around the work that you do and and leadership and business, um, where did it all start for you? Can you give us a little bit of a plotted history of Tarina? Where where did you begin? Where did it all start? Oh, I think as um, a child, probably um, being the I was the firstborn of four other siblings. So there are five of us. And I kind of took a leadership role of, you know, trying to organize and coordinate and collaborate my siblings, um, have them collaborate amongst each other. And so I think it started just, you know, having to take the lead and, um, and, and encouraging everyone to speak up. Um, We're a very loud family. And so you had to really speak up and say what you wanted if you needed to be heard. Uh, after that, um, just my mom and my dad encouraged me, uh, always encouraged me to go off and, you know, be adventurous, explore and do whatever I wanted to do. So I think I just felt free growing up, having the ability to do anything. There were never any parameters around. I think you should go in this direction or this direction. Yeah, isn't it fascinating? I've got a, um, a almost 17-year-old at the moment and uh, that that willingness to almost create the freedom for him to make the right decisions or to explore, to fail, to try is a really interesting uh, piece for a parent because, you know, you want to keep them safe. You want to make sure they they have the best opportunities. And yet sometimes you've got to let people fly a little bit, don't you? Yes, you do. My mom used to say um, she thought I would be an, an excellent attorney, a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so she, there was something in the fact that I would just, um, I, you know, all I can think about is that I've always been told that I was analytical, very um, thoughtful, that I've cared about the details and things. And so I started to think about, oh, I think I want to be an educator. That's actually, um, that was a driver for me to, to go and become an educator because outside of my home, I had instructors, educators, teachers who were inspiring me, who were helping me, you know, understand that I could be great at something or, you know, they were always encouraging my work. They, oh, Janine, my writing was always encouraged through my life. So I had, you know, from everyone, from parents, siblings, aunts, uncles, teachers specifically used to single me out for my writing. And so I thought, I think I need to be an educator. That's what I first thought. I needed to be an educator. And so I became one. <laughs> yeah. And what, and so when you talk about becoming an educator, can you tell us a little bit more about what that entailed and, and what you're doing now, Tarina? Yes. Um, so I started off, I decided I, I would like to teach. I thought I would love to teach business. I just naturally just was um, inclined in that direction. So I went to school to become a, a licensed business educator. I wanted to teach college courses, but I ended up first, um, after graduating, I taught um, high school, ninth through 12th grade business education courses, everything from marketing to principles of business, economics, accounting, careers, leadership, all of that. And it was in doing that that I was then recruited to teach um, adjunct courses at some colleges. And after doing that, I started getting in touch with business professionals 
and executives. And then I was asked to do advising. I didn't know what it was about, Janine. Um, I didn't know, you know, that I didn't think about the whole field of consulting work. Um, but in after meeting these people over the years as an educator, I started working, building relationships where I was being asked to work with individuals so much as an advisor. So I was doing like this side thing. I didn't even know it was a side thing. And one day I decided, I think I want to explore this more. So I went back to college for my graduate um, degree in organization development um, and strategy. And now today I'm a management consultant, um, an executive coach and strategist. I've been um, doing this work for, I want to say t almost 20 years. So wow. yeah. I went gung-ho into it all. <laughs> Impacting a lot of people. So think, thinking back, Tarina, you know, you've taken us on that whistle-stop tour of uh, one of, was it five children or four children? I think you said five. I have the four. Eldest, yeah, yeah, the eldest, five children. You know, there's uh, family environment that encouraged you to, to explore uh, what you wanted to become, the desire to be an educator. Looking, looking back over the 20 years that you've been doing your work and, and life before then as you were discovering it, what, what do you think you've learned about yourself during, during that whole process? Mm. Oh, that's a good question. Oh, wow. I've learned a lot about myself, but some of the things that stand out for me are I have learned to, I knew, I realized early on that I don't know that I knew how to define it back then, but I knew I had an entrepreneurial spirit. And what I mean by that is whether my job was as an educator or I used to be a, a certified mediator or director of mediation centers. I've been a social worker for a stint. In every role that I've had, I've become completely invested. So I've, I've always taken on the role um, from the perspective of I'm owning this, the outcomes and deliverables are up to me. So even though I was working for companies and I had supervisors, I felt really connected and committed and obligated to deliver at the highest levels. It was real personal for me. My work quality, my work product, my work ethic, um, something about just wanting to deliver at higher quality regardless of whether or not I had the support systems I needed, regardless of whether or not the supervisor was supportive. It, it, but I have been blessed to have really good supervisors over the years. But I think um, just learning that about myself, that I was very entrepreneurial, which meant I would work whatever hours. I've never been one to pay attention to the clock. Um, just, and I also learned that I needed a lot of autonomy. Um, the more freedom I could have, the better. So I would go into positions negotiating that up front with supervisors. Oh, I love that. So can you give me an example of what, what that means to you, that autonomy, um, that need for freedom? I'm really curious about that that statement. I'd go in and negotiate it up front. Have you got an example, yeah. Tarina? Yes. Oh, yes. Because now I actually, when I used to teach a lot of work on careers and leadership, I would teach this method. So I go in and um, I remember um, thinking I have to, I, I had a supervisor, there was no onboarding or anything that most of my jobs, you just, you go in, you kind of, you're, you're, you know, you're given an orientation and you just hit, you, you have to sink or swim. And I remember having a supervisor 
whom I felt was a little bit more, um, I don't know if I want to use the word micromanagement, but close to that. And so I had to understand what compelled individuals to want to monitor closely. Because I, I so I started trying to study human behavior and what would, what would in, in, compel a supervisor to look so closely. And so what I did was I thought, okay, I need to help. I need to make sure I'm lightening my supervisor's load. So the conversation that I have always had, and I encourage people, is when you first start a job, um, don't expect or wait on your supervisor or the senior leadership team to come in and ask you um, what you need. They may never do that. Um, go ahead and take the initiative and say, I would like to talk with you because it's it's my goal that you're that I'm successful here. And in order for me to be successful, I need to make sure that I understand what helps you be successful. And so I usually literally initiate that dialogue to say, um, can you share with me um, what do you expect from me from communication? And by doing that, Janine, I'm allowed, I open the door so that I can then say what I need and how I need to be communicated with. So I go in and looking at what does my supervisor need? How can I lighten his or her load? How can I make sure that he or she looks good? I feel obligated as a part of them hiring me to make sure that one of the outcomes is that he or she looks good and feels good that they hired me. And so in that dialogue, I actually say that, that I feel like it's a part of my role to not just deliver for this organization, but to make sure you're successful and that you look good as well. And so if we can have a dialogue about how to communicate with one another, how, what are your expectations, what resources I will need, how do I come with you with problems, how do you come with me with, to me with problems, I think we will set each other up to be extremely successful because I'm going to bring my A-game. And I, I actually have that conversation. It's something like that. I think that's that's really cool. And I couldn't agree more because um, we are in this together. And, um, you know, it's one of the, the things I, I often say to clients, too, in terms of, well, well what is it that's, that your boss is really worried about? What are they trying to achieve? Do you actually understand that? And it's incredible, isn't it, how, how many people actually go about their work um, almost blinkered because they're so just thinking about themselves versus thinking about uh, the needs up and down, left and right throughout the chain. And actually it requires everybody to work together. So that's, that's a really cool bit of insight. Um, thinking, thinking back to, is there a specific watershed moment, Tarina, um, that you can think of that almost as a result of that moment, it set you on track to be doing what you're doing now? Oh, wow. Um, I think there have been several, I mean, personally and professionally, just so many. Um, some have been confirming and validating my journey and my decisions and choices in my career, and some have helped to redirect me. But one early on was um, when I was an educator, um, before that, I was a social worker. And I used to see in that role, Janine, I had to go through so much training because I didn't go to school to be a social worker. When I graduated, while I was waiting to be hired as an educator, I was hired as a social worker because I had some relationships there and they offered me a job to be a social worker. So they sent me to all, I was a child protective services social worker. I emphasize that because that's a different level of, you know, when you work with children who are being abused, neglected and having to maybe even remove a child from a home. That was a that was a real watershed moment for me when I had to remove a child 
take a child from a parent. I was a parent at the time and um, I've had, I had to do it a couple times, but what the long and short of it is I learned in being a child protective services, social worker, and in having to have the most difficult conversations you can have with someone, I learned about empathy in ways that I think have deepened my ability to um, advise ex advise executives today and provide executive coaching. Um, I learned communication skills and techniques and conflict resolution skills and techniques that have helped shape my entire career um, and help create success. Uh, I learned how to appreciate the human dynamics and the challenges around uh, other people's um, when they lack the ability to make the best decisions. But, and I also, one other big takeaway was, and, and why that happens so that I can be less judgmental about it. But one of the other things I learned was how important trust is in any relationship. And so even today, I, I, I have had great success. I, I get to work with executives in Fortune 100, Fortune 500 organizations, higher ed universities across the globe, executives and leaders calling me from all stripes and industries. But I think, it, and, and they come back again and again. And I think some of the reason is that is the thing I learned way back there as a social worker is that it's about trust. And then when people trust you, even when you have to do something horrible, like remove their child from the home for the child's sake for a while, or just give any kind of disappointing news, they will still hold on to you. Uh, my supervisor back then used to tell me, Tarina, these, your parents, the parents of your children call all the time and they just love you. And these are parents were parents, I was giving some of the most difficult information. So I chalked that up to, it was really about trust. And it also helped me to learn and evaluate emotional intelligence, which are all under that same umbrella. Mm. And, and it's just such a, a wonderful example of how the experiences of our past actually create the strengths of our present. Um, in terms of, as you, you know, you beautifully summarize there, the, the learnings from having um, had to do, from having doing that work and having to build those relationships, having to make those tough calls that you're now actually taking those learnings into the incredible work that you do now for, for leaders and, and business. Um, it's also, I just want to talk about this concept of trust with you, Tarina, if I can, because it is one of those words that's banded about left, right, and center. And, and to me, it's one of those words that's easy to say, but actually really hard to, to do. And yet, um, we I see too many people not investing in that word, whether it be trust, you talked about emotional intelligence too. From your perspective, you know, given, given the work that you do, um, what is trust? How do you build trust? Do you have some thoughts on that? Oh, wow. Yes. Um, Janine, it's, I, it's, people have to feel every, in every encounter and in every interaction and in every engagement, I go into it with the idea and the perspective of it's up to me to create an environment where this individual, whatever has to happen, where this individual can leave with his or her dignity intact, where this individual or team can leave understanding that I'm not going to be ju judging them, 
Um, I think at, at the core of trust is about creating a safe space for people to be people, to be vulnerable, to be human. Um, and oh, the biggest one is to be, to not know, to create a space where people, it's okay that they don't know and it's mm. okay that they fail. In a culture where people are too afraid to fail, they won't be brilliant. They won't be, they won't bring their best creativity because creativity requires trust. It means that if I'm going to do something differently, if I'm going to think differently, it has to be okay if I get it wrong. Mm. So no, I think I communicating that, creating a culture where that exists, and and um and having supervisors who can coach their employees safely um as they try to improve performance and to accomplish organizational and strategic goals and priorities is if people feel like they can be safe with you that's ultimately what it trust is about can i be safe with you being me being my authentic me mm. and equally on that you've got to feel safe with yourself, right? Because I, I um, interviewed um, a wonderful guy called Ron Harvey. Um, he's actually a US retired veteran and he's a, another leadership coach in the US. I had the absolute honor of meeting him when I was studying at Harvard. And I remember this one line that he said to me, he said, Janine, we have to ensure that we have nothing to hide, nothing to lose and nothing to prove. And I think that in that line, there's so much depth because we can for, spend so much time creating environments to help other people feel safe and building that trust. But actually, we've also got to feel safe with ourselves, I think. that and Unless you can create absolutely that space where other people don't have to hide behind their titles, their positions, or, or being scared then you're never going to build that environment. But at the same time, it requires all of us as individuals not to worry about ourselves too, not to worry about proving ourselves, not to worry about having something to lose. And it's this whole concept that we were talking about, almost like just off air about this, this idea of maintaining perspective, a willingness to be proved wrong, a willingness to relearn. And it's this two-way street, I think, when it comes to building building trust, what are your what are your thoughts on that? Oh well, I'm just first. I, I love the the concept you just shared. We have to be willing to hide, to lose, and to be proven wrong. I think that if first of all, he he's right. The gentleman that shared that with you, I completely agree because I feel like if I'm not, I can't create that kind of space for someone if I'm too insecure within myself. So the message there, I wholeheartedly connect with because it's saying, I, in order for me to be the type of leader who can really create an environment for other people to do their best work, I have to feel like I'm functioning and operating from a safe space as well. So then maybe that's how we get things like, you know, real insecure leadership or insecure supervisors who micromanage, who um, you know demotivate their employees because they themselves don't feel safe. But then that goes back to what I was saying about understanding human dynamics. I think that it's critical that we that we're able to understand or think about in a real contemplative way 
why people and, and ourselves, why we behave the way we do. So what's missing there for someone? I, um, when I do executive coaching work, I'm trying to look uh, and work in, individually with an executive to say, what is that? What, what is, what's compelling a certain behavior or a certain response towards certain individuals? So I think that, yeah, you're onto something. It means that those individuals don't feel safe either. And so you're, you're not going to be able to reach your own potential and maximize your own deliverables when you are so insecure within your own self. And so then we have, that means we have to take time to continuously work on ourselves. Um, I'm an executive coach and I've had my own executive coach for eight years. I, I don't even know, want to live without him. So I was actually going to ask you that. I was like, cause you know, we, I, but we're all working. Um, we're, we're all developing, learning these, these masterpieces in, in development. And, uh, you know, like we talk about other people being insecure and facing that. What, what do you think when you look back was your biggest, uh, internal battle that you had to push through Ooh. to actually create that space to do the work that you're doing now? Yeah. Well, I, I, they're right on the front forefront. Um, some of them I still struggle with, but I, I wrote a piece about um, um, that I, something to the concept of, I had the right to shine that my bright was, that my light was so bright and I needed to go out and fulfill my dreams. And I knew that my own internal, the things that were holding me back were internally. And one of them was, um, this desire to the need to please the need mm. to please so much um, to um, having difficulty um, saying no when I needed to and yes when I needed to um, and aversion to risk I've had, I, I've completely overcome that I think <laughs> my husband would say um, but those are things up at the earlier earlier years that I really struggle with um, I got over the aversion to risk and taking career risk and career chances first. It took me longer to get over this need to please. And I'm over that now. So sometimes people will say, well, really, Trina? And I'll say, I, you know, I live in this no BS zone, Janine. And I just really, um, I try to keep it real with people because I think I get the best from them and they get the best from me when that happens. But those are some of the things that I did. I struggled with saying no to people. So my plate was constantly overflowing, overloaded with things I didn't really want to do, things I didn't care about. And it was affecting my happiness. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm a real advocate about um, material success not leading to happiness. I think that we have to find, make sure that our career choices and what we spend a lot of our lives doing, that it aligns with our purpose, passion, and principles. And the more I would you know, my challenges with saying no to people was finding that I had a lot of internal conflict with that. I, my purpose and passion were not aligning with my principles because what I was presenting to people was not authentic. When I, I'm not saying that we should never do things we don't feel like doing, but a lot, but it's about doing things we don't feel like doing when we really have a choice, but we just don't want that person to not like us or something. Oh gosh, I couldn't agree more. It's almost like no is the hardest word for people to actually say. And yet saying yes too many times and the opportunity cost of that yes is, you know, fueling 
diary overload, commitment overload, as you said, doing stuff you're not really, you don't really particularly enjoy. Um, what what tips? Because I reckon there'll be a lot of people listening to this right now, Tawini, that are going, "Oh my gosh, that's me." I say yes to too many things. Um, do you have a couple of tips for people um, of how to say no or how to feel more comfortable with saying no? Yes, I think that, um, well, first you have to ask, what's the consequence to it? So in my own struggles, as I learned to develop that skill and and be willing to actually apply it, because I learned it and then I still wasn't willing to apply it, Janine, but as I was able to apply it more, it was about asking myself, doing an analysis really in, internally uh, about what, what, what was the difficulty um, what did I, what was the takeaway for me if I did it? Um, what did I feel would happen, you know, if I didn't do it? So I just had to start going through the why and really trying to assess what was it in me that was allowing my life to be overloaded with things that I really didn't want to do. And hence, thereby wasn't able to go and put more energy and passion into the things I wanted to do. And so um, first I had to understand what was going on in me. That goes back to, you know, what you just talked about with insecurities that we struggle with. So what was that? Um, I think when I was trying to build my career, my portfolio, my expertise, build my brand, become known, it was about, oh, well, let me just do as much as I can for people. And what I actually started realizing, what really compelled me to start saying no more is that I felt I started to feel like people liked me, but they didn't necessarily respect me. And I wasn't getting paid well either. Like, so as a woman, I think it goes hand in hand. We get, you know, women in general get paid less than, you know, on average than men. And then, so maybe all of these components play a part to that. Um, So ultimately I started valuing myself more. I started believing that I had something that I was bringing it better than than some of my, you know, counterparts that I was doing it differently, that I was having an impact with clients in a way and with employees and and colleagues in a way that other people weren't. And I think once I started really realizing the value in what I was delivering, I started saying, okay, I'm going to say no to this and maybe this will be bad. But ultimately, if I'm never willing to fight for me, no one else will. And that I used to tell myself that when in moments when I would be feeling like I'm going to say yes, I would ask myself, Tarina, do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? And is this going to benefit you in any way? And it doesn't, I'm not talking about monetarily and career-wise. Some things we do because morally we want to, because it fits within our character and our values. So I just needed to make sure everything I was doing was fitting, aligning with my core values and, and, and my time management abilities. Yeah. Yeah, love well, it. Love it. Myself or understanding that if I didn't value myself, yeah, that no one else. It's would. interesting. We, uh, I was having a conversation literally in the last few days with various people around that concept of value, um, because particularly in these COVID nineteen times, you know, and I'm I'm not sure what it's like for your business, Tarina, and your market, but the amount of people that are asking for things for free, whether it be a keynote, a webinar, uh, whatever it may be. 
And I was actually talking to um, to a group of people that are passionate about women in the workplace and, uh, you know, they're running these events and these events have got support from their organization and yet the organization isn't putting any money, any money into the events. And I actually fed to them exactly what you've just said to me of going, you know, there's something fundamentally wrong here that if we are all about closing the pay gap, pay gap if we're all about... Uh, increasing the number of women at senior level, then we have to start valuing from the very beginning. And I suggest, I literally said, I suggest you go back to the organization and actually share with them that you need budget because otherwise asking people to speak for free, to give their time up for free on a continuing basis is just perpetuating uh, the lack of value and the gap that, that exists. Um, I don't know if that happens in the US or in your work, but it's quite interesting watching what is happening in terms of the, the amount of free expectation of free time, irrespective of value that is that is being asked for right now. Oh, Jadine, yes. <laughs> I think this is globally. Um, th this issue is global. And I think that I used to get asked to do a lot of stuff. Free. I don't get asked to do work free much anymore. Um, but I, I, I used to, um, I'm trying to, as you, as I was listening to you and I was thinking, wow, I remember those days and how did I make, how did I change so that now I get paid well and I don't get those requests. And I was thinking, what did I do? I, um, I think, let, let me back up a little bit. Let's pull it back. I don't want, should people ever work for free? There are times, I believe we should bank on ourselves. Um, I, I'm really strong in, you need to diversify your portfolio and you need to bank on yourself. And by banking on yourself, it may mean that I trade my time for something other than a monetary compensation. That may mean exposure, advertisement, um, somehow it'll help my portfolio or branding. It may be necessary. And I, I emphasize maybe because I don't think we should just jump to do it for free and assume you're going to get some back client. That usually never happens. At least I can say when I started doing keynotes and I was running around trying to build up, you know, a client list and I was speaking for free or very discounted rates. Um, I, I'm going to say maybe 2% of the time I ended up with a client from that. Mm -hmm. So the payoff wasn't there the same way when people may think, but it should be done if you believe the payoff for whatever you value will be there. When you are speaking for free and you haven't just started speaking in the last year or two and you're still doing it, you're actually diminishing your value. That's This is why I stopped because I, and I stopped doing the discounts because I used to say, oh, you know, I'll come and do that for, if I knew the going rate was 10,000, then I may do it for three or five just to get it. I was so wanting to get it. Oh, I don't do any of that anymore. I encourage women and all, all people, men and women to ask for what you want. But in order to do that, it goes back to the other thing you said, what did I struggle with? Career risk. So you have to bank on yourself. So I'm constantly taking risks with my own brand and my own value and my own career, because I now just say no. 
But what I've now found out is that people tend to come back and pay to get me. So I think that there sometimes it may be a test. I, I like that you encourage those people to go back and ask for a budget. Sometimes it's a test because remember, Janine, I know you've read, you know, we teach people how to treat us, right? Is that my Angela? And so the, when you show people you don't have any value on your time and your expertise, you know, how long do you want to teach that, <laughs> send that message? I think we have to stop and ask ourselves that. So now I asked, I, I know what the going rate is. I asked for that, or I'm just not available. I, I don't really have a lot of time to trade for free. And I also learned that the reason why we have this pay gap is because they ask more women to do this than men. Yes. <laughs> they do. Uh, it's, that's a whole other conversation. I will get you. There's a need to please. So, you know, another thing that's difficult in my profession when I first started is helping out former colleagues and friends. Yeah, it's, yeah. you know, so deciding that you have to charge them as well. I think yeah. that, yeah, we could have a whole other, a whole other interview on, you know, the pay gap. <laughs> oh, I reckon I was just thinking that well, next March, International Women's Day, let's, let's start that conversation. And um, what keeps you going, Torina? What, what is it that fires you up in your work? What keeps you going? Oh, wow. Oh, just the people that I, I know that sounds so cliche, but each client when, and when I'm working with teams or whether it's an individual and, or the organization itself, and they, and they say to me how much of a difference it's made. It, that just, that's just all, that's like so important to me. It's, it's as or more important than the monetary or anything. It's, am I creating value? Do am I rising to the value proposition in this engagement? And so once I get validation that I'm doing that, um, I work a lot of consulting projects where I get to work with teams for six months, a year, three years, the same organization. And we'll be working on various projects from strategy to performance systems and all kinds of things. And, and sometimes I'm in there, you know, I may be with them 20 hours a week or I may send a team that's with them 40 hours a week. And but the validation of when they say, oh, my goodness, this is what we needed or this is so much more than what we thought we would get or what we thought we were capable of. So what keeps me on is um, I think that's the educator in me. The thing that sparked it all the way back when my instructors inspired me to want to be an instructor. I think it was more. It's not the educator. It's not the instructor part, Janine. It's the turning on light bulbs for people, helping people understand how to own their own power to create the results they want, helping people understand how to unleash their brilliance, if I can say. Yeah. So I, that really gets my juices flowing. Love it. And, and this, this podcast is all about unleashing brilliance. If you could sum up what that means to you, what, what is it? What, what does unleashing brilliance mean to you, Tarina? It means being free to be the best, to bring the best of who you are to the table. So if I'm unleashing my brilliance, I'm not shrinking in my role. I'm not allowing other people to define what success looks like for me. I'm not waiting around for other people to create my journey or create experiences. So I, I have this philosophy that we need to own our power, own our power to lead, own our power to change, own our power to learn, to grow, 
And so when a person has his or her brilliance unleashed, I was doing a workshop a couple of years ago and I uh, was talking to a bunch of human capital executives and I said to them, you, you can be so brilliant, so brilliant. If you could apply this, the, that your inner brilliance can come out. And I had someone call me a couple months after and they had applied the, the model that we were working on. And they said, Tarina, I feel brilliant. You think that, that that more than made my day. That made like my year, Janine. I was so what they were saying is I feel powerful. I'm empowered. I, and I'm free to be that. Yeah. Mm. Oh, love it. Tarina, we often, um, this, this has just been the most fabulous conversation. There are so many gems in here that I know our listeners are going to be able to run with and take away to put into, into their own worlds. Um, to wrap up, you know, we often ask people, what's next? Uh, what do they want to become? What's the big dream? My, my question I'd like to close with is this one, and it's actually Tarina. What do you want to be remembered for? Mm, oh, wow. I want to be remembered for... I want to be remembered for creating experiences for people that help them have the courage to make the choices and decisions to take their next step. So if people would look back on me, and I, and I actually put a lot of thought into this uh, legacy career impact. Um, I'm constantly aware that we're only here for, you know, the time we're here for, and we need to make sure that we're having an impact. So if, if I'm gone tomorrow and people say, Tarina helped me under created an experience, whatever that looks like, that could have been consulting. It could have been, you know, a, con a friendly conversation, a lunch, a phone call, this interview, whatever. And people say, I felt like I was more empowered to take the next step after that. And they feel better about themselves and their ability to create their own happiness. That would be, that would be everything for me. Tarina, this has been the best way to start my day. I hope you've enjoyed it as an awesome end to your day over there in the US. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on this episode and uh, fingers crossed we will get to meet in person uh, when our global barriers open back up and we can, uh, I can sit and buy you lunch and we can absolutely chew the fat over the work that we do. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. Well, I'm inspired by you, Janine. So you just keep doing the work you do. Um, thank you for your kind remarks for me, but I'm actually inspired by you. It's been an absolute delight of mine to spend this time with you today. So thank you for inviting me and um, you can invite me again because I love this dialogue and I will be at, I've been to Australia once. I will be back and we will come back. Yes, absolutely. I'll I'll take you out and show you show you some of the fabulous sites. It'd be oh, great. We're, we're, we're gonna make it happen. <laughs> we are gonna make it happen. Okay. We are. We are. Thank you, Tarina. Take care. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to the Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books, or find out more, visit her website, JanineGarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.